Good morning, Lake City. Great to see you this morning. Today I want to talk to you about standing strong for God. We're looking today at one of the best known, one of the most loved stories in all of God's Word. And one reason I believe why this story is so loved is because there is so much here to feed our souls. And what we're going to see this morning, what we're going to see today is how to stand strong for God. How can we be faithful to God and not compromise in a decaying world? If you grew up in Sunday school, no doubt you're familiar with the story of Daniel and the lion's den. In fact, some of you, I'm sure, remember those little figurines, the pictures with the felt on the back of them that they stuck up on the boards up front, yeah? What were those called again? Flannel graph stories, that's right. <clears throat> My wife has been telling flannel graph stories in Iwana for the last month, and so they've been all over the bedroom for the last month, so they're right, right up front. And this is one of the top ten, it certainly is. It's right up there with Noah's Ark and crossing the Red Sea, Moses and the Ten Commandments, the Battle of Jericho. The birth of Jesus, Jesus' miracles, walking on the water, Jesus' death and resurrection, all those classic Bible stories, those sacred, true stories that mean so much to us. And this is one of the top ten favorites today, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Its popularity is evident by how much artwork has been produced about it. Here's just one of the paintings I came across. Not a lot that have great resolution, but this one did, and uh, so, so that's a great one. Please take out your Bible and join me in Daniel chapter 6. If you're taking the Bible from the chair in front of you, it's page 743, roughly. I think we have a couple of different editions out there, but approximately 743, Daniel 6. And in terms of an outline, this is on your sermon notes today. We're going to look at how Daniel was condemned to the lion's den, how he was preserved in the lion's den, and then the king's response to his deliverance. And then five lessons five practical next steps for us today. So let's jump right into our text. The first half of Daniel 6 is about how Daniel is condemned to the lion's den. And the story really begins by describing Daniel's success. So we're going to begin in verse 1, reading about Daniel in the government of Darius. And I want to give you just a bit of history before we read it. In Daniel 6, we're going to see Daniel actually serving a new king. In Daniel first served King Nebuchadnezzar, that was chapters 1 through 4, King Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 5, we saw him reading the handwriting on the wall for King Belshazzar. And now in chapter 6, Daniel's actually serving under King Darius, who was at least the third king that he has served in that area in Babylon over his almost 70 years living there. So Daniel, we believe, is 85, 86, something like that, years old at this point. And that brings us now to verse 1, which says, It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So a little bit about Darius. When Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. That's the end of chapter 5. Cyrus the Great was the king. And some people have asked, well, who's Darius then? Okay, we know historically Cyrus was the commander that, that took over Babylon. And then Darius comes in and is mentioned. And who is he? 
Well, we don't 100% know for sure, but first of all, it's helpful to understand Darius literally, that word literally means holder of the scepter. So it's probably not the king's personal name, but a title. And in fact, that title is given to five different Persian kings. So I'd suggest to you it's very likely that Cyrus the Great and Darius that we read about here in chapter 6 are probably the same person. And Darius was, ha, chose to set over his kingdom these three officials, these three administrators, one of whom was Daniel. And these three governed over 120 satraps or governors. And you might say, well, why did the king do it like that? Well, their job was to protect the empire from rebellion, to make sure things worked together in unity and worked together smoothly, also to collect taxes and to guard the financial affairs of the empire. So basically, they were there to make sure the national checkbook was balanced. You know, what a novel idea. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Let's continue reading in, in verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. According to this verse, Daniel became distinguished above all the other leaders of the empire. And you can't tell it from the ESV that we're reading from here, but in the original language, that's a participial phrase. And the force of that would be then continuous action. You say, well, so what? Well, that just tells us that day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, Daniel was distinguishing himself. Why? Because he possessed an excellent spirit, an extraordinary spirit was in him. In other words, he had a phenomenal attitude. It didn't matter what he was facing. He was upbeat and he was positive and he was great to be around. And I believe by inference, it also clues us in that he was filled with faith. He had a great faith in God. And we're going to read a little bit more about that in the next verse. So the king looks on and he says, Daniel is head and shoulders above anyone else serving in my kingdom. So I'm going to put him in charge. He's going to be second only to me. Now that sounds like a great thing for Daniel, right? But the reality is... What was a promotion actually introduced trouble for Daniel. The other two administrators, they get jealous and they sort of go hunger games on him and they say, you know, we need to take this guy out. And they just do everything possible to get rid of him. And so next we read about this conspiracy against Daniel, the conspiracy. This is a story of political intrigue. It reads very much, in fact, like the news today in our world. So let's pick it up at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. If you would, notice that word faithful in this verse. You might even underline that word. We'll come back to that important word. It's a key to this whole story. And we'll come back to that when we get down to verse 10. But I want you to imagine for a moment that someone decided that they were going to look into your life with a fine-tooth comb with an attempt to find anything they could to accuse you of. 
Okay, they wanted to take you down, and so they decided to check you out thoroughly and find anything to take you down. Well, they couldn't find a single thing on Daniel. He didn't have a problem with alcohol or with anger. Daniel had, a good, had good relationships with other people. I mean, he didn't even drive his chariot too fast around town. He was just an upright guy. There wasn't anything they could accuse him about. Now, that word faithful summarizes Daniel's life. He was a trustworthy man. He had integrity. He was loyal. He was diligent. And those things are rare. But they're required if you want to serve Christ faithfully. So the satraps and the other two highest officials, they get together and they're disgusted with Daniel. This Daniel, he's such a jerk. I mean, as long as he's around, our jobs are in jeopardy. He's making us look bad. And he's taking any opportunity we might have to rise to the top. And so he's so perfect, he's driving us crazy. That's kind of the sentiment. And one of them has a bright idea. That's verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They know that the only chink in Daniel's armor was his faith in God. His faith in God. That wasn't a fault, but they realized that they could probably use that in their favor. So we pick it up at verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement. They schemed together. They came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. That sounds familiar by now, right? Verse 7 goes on. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Anybody who prays to anybody but you, O king, he needs to be put to death for 30 days. By the way, what's a, a lion's den? There's different pictures that I saw of a lion's den. One of them is this big hill with a pit cut out in the middle of it and a bunch of lions in the pit. And uh, you kind of get that idea. Or maybe it's uh, stoned over with rocks and uh, stones, kind of a more finished look like the, the artwork that I'm showing you today. But the point is there's a bunch of hungry lions in this area. They're not fed very often, so they're famished. And they're there for the specific purpose of capital punishment, for killing people whom the king wants to set an example about. Now, the governors, these leaders, besides Daniel, they're putting pressure on the king. This is what all the leaders of your kingdom believe you should do. We're all agreed. And of course, that's a lie. But the proud king was like, hey, that sounds pretty good. I like it when people worship me, you know. But had Darius thought about it, had he not been so quick to jump to a decision or blinded by his pride, he might not have trapped himself with this decision. And he might have realized, you know, ding, I didn't see Daniel at that meeting. Why wasn't Daniel there? Of course, Daniel was conspicuously absent because the whole thing was a conspiracy against him. So in verse 8 we read, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, what's that all about? 
Well, a Medo-Persian king was not allowed to change a law once it was established. And the rationale was this. They believed that their kings were divine, and thus they felt that they were infallible. Therefore, they never made mistakes, so the king couldn't change any laws that he wrote because that would be admitting that he made a mistake. So when they wrote a law, they were never allowed to revoke that law. If you think about it, we read the very same thing over in the book of Esther. Same situation exactly. And so all these guys, they're plotting against Daniel, and it's interesting. Look at, how, at Daniel's faithfulness to God in his response. When Daniel heard about this new law, what was his response? That's verse 10. When Daniel knew that the documents had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed, what did he do? Well, he went into his house, windows wide open, got down on his knees, and three times a day, what did he do? Let's all say it aloud. He, he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed, just like he had always done. He was not intimidated. He didn't waste a lot of time worrying about what to do. He just faithfully continued his practice of prayer. And that took courage because he knew that prayer was a capital offense, at least prayer to the one true God. But Daniel decided that his faithfulness to God was more important than giving in to peer pressure. Daniel could have compromised simply by closing the windows of his room, but instead he chose to disobey the king's law and to keep praying as he had always done. Listen, there is a time in the life of a Christian for civil disobedience. That's what Acts 4 and Acts 5 is all about. That's what Daniel did here. It's where we choose to obey God's laws rather than man's laws. Well, I'm absolutely convinced that so much of Daniel's success in life was based on pre-decisions. You might remember that word from our very first week from Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel predecided, I'm not going to defile myself by eating food offered to idols. And now somewhere along before this day, probably decades before this day, in fact, because he's in his 80s now, he made a decision, I'm going to seek God three times every day. So he predecided long before this threat, I'm a child of God, therefore I'm going to spend time with God, not just once a day, I need him three times a day. I need some time with him in the morning. I need to spend time with him midday. And I need to wrap up my day with God as well. I need to hear his voice. I need to be filled with his spirit. I need his ongoing strength. I want constant communion with God. And so three times a day, that's what he did. I don't know about you, but if you haven't predecided on a plan to get to know God, chances are you will not get to know God. Think about it. If you don't have a predetermined plan, listen, if you have no plan, you are, are planning to fail. I can almost guarantee you are not growing in intimacy with God unless you have established a plan of how to do that. We'll come back to that. By the way, why did Daniel keep getting promoted in this kingdom? 
In fact, for almost 70 years now, Daniel keeps getting promoted through at least three administrations, three different kings. Daniel received promotions and made an impact for God in a pagan land. And I see at least three things that I think made that possible. Jot these down. First of all, his professional competence. Professional competence. We read about that here, but also in the earlier chapters, his abilities and his skills. He could interpret dreams. God gave him great wisdom and insight. He had professional competence. Secondly, his personal character. Verse 3 speaks of his excellent spirit. Verse 4, we just read, speaks of his faithfulness. And the third thing is his public commitment. He had a public witness for God. Strong public commitment. Which reminds us, it is possible to live a pure and faithful life in the midst of a pagan culture. You might not always be rewarded as we read Daniel was here, but don't miss the point. It is possible to live a pure and faithful life in the midst of a thoroughly pagan culture. Well, let's continue the story at verse 11. For here the plot really unfolds, really gets thick. The plot intensifies, and in verse 11 we read, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Like a bunch of kids, they're like, we caught him, we caught him. Verse 14, it goes on, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The commentators agree the king probably was consulting with his lawyers and uh, legal people to see if there's any way around having to do that. And verse 15 says, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So all of these guys, they're pushing on the king. They're driving the king crazy. And the king finally gave the orders. He couldn't find a way around his dilemma, so he signed the order and sent Daniel off. But listen to what he said. Verse 16, the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Don't you love that? May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. It sounds as if Daniel had been sharing his faith with the king. Why else would the king respond like that? It's as if the king says, you know, I already know about how your God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I mean, everybody's heard that story. And everyone knows about your ability to interpret dreams. And who hasn't heard about the way you read the handwriting on the wall? I've heard all about you, Daniel, and the things God enables you to do. So maybe the same God 
will protect you in the lion's den. That's what the king was hoping. So that's how Daniel was condemned to the lion's den. Now we come to the next major section of the chapter, and of course, it's why we love this story. For now we see Daniel is preserved in the lion's den. He's preserved in the lion's den. And we begin by reading about the king's sleepless night. That's verse 17, the king's sleepless night. We read this. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So the king was very troubled. In fact, so much so that he wasn't even able to sleep. He wasn't even interested in his normal evening entertainment. It was probably this genuine appreciation, maybe even a friendship growing between the king and Daniel. So here's one more picture that's been painted of Daniel in the lion's den. I like this one because of the bones lying there on the, on the ground. Well, all of this brings us to the prophet's deliverance. And I'm sure that night seemed like an eternity for the king as he's waiting to get up and go the next morning and check on Daniel. In verse 19, it says, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And it probably seemed even longer until Daniel's response to his inquiry. In fact, if I was Daniel, I might have let him sweat that a little bit and just <laughs> paused, you know. Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And you can just imagine the king is relieved. It's like, ah, yes. And we read in verse 22, Daniel says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before, the king, before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. What a great response. And by the way, understand these are the only words Daniel speaks in this whole chapter. So God subdued the lions using one of his mighty angels. And then Daniel declares his innocence before the king. And then apparently the king agreed because this next verse says this. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And if you underline your Bible, this is another good one to underline, because he had trusted in his God. And that is how Daniel was delivered from the den of lions. That's how God did it. Well, finally, we come to the king's response. So let's read now about Darius's response beginning at verse 24. And actually, we're going to see two distinct responses here. First is Darius and Daniel's enemies in verse 24. Now, I don't have any problem with wicked politicians going in the lion's den, but what's this we're going to read about their families? Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Anybody a little surprised to, to read that one there? 
Well, there was actually a law about that in Persia. Here's a quote that I found from Persian law. On account of the guilt of the one, all the kindred shall perish. The kindred as in their family. So Persian law said, if you're guilty, your family dies with you. Tough place to work, right? No thanks. And so their wives and their children were also put to death. And if you want to know the kind of lions that, that God protected Daniel from, the verse goes on to say this, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So clearly it wasn't that the lions were already hungry, and that's why they didn't bother Daniel. It's that God protected his prophet, and he didn't protect these others. And then the second response we read about is related to Darius and Daniel's God. Here's what the king decreed about the one true God, the God of Daniel, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Listen, the real focus of this story is on God. God took the lion's den and used it for his own glory and his own purposes. And when the story was over and it's written down, the purpose of those difficulties is clearly to glorify God. Friend, why do bad things happen to good people? It's so that God might be glorified through our lion's den experiences. Let's remember we have an eternal God who works wonders in heaven and on earth. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. And when we find ourselves in a bad place or in a place of fear, we need to get our eyes off our circumstances and onto the greatness of our God. Listen, courage, courage is not a lack of fear. Courage is speaking up and it's doing the right things in spite of our fear. That's Daniel. Finally, we read this closing comment in verse 28. Verse 28 says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. Indeed, the reign of Cyrus the Persian is a legitimate way to translate it. So this Daniel, this is just one guy, one man literally affected two empires in his day. He affects Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and, and the Babylonian Empire, and now Darius the Mede and the Medo-Persian Empire. And I've always believed that his influence extended beyond even those two kingdoms, I believe the whole reason, or a, a strong reason, why the Magi showed up at the birth of Jesus Christ was because of Daniel. Incidentally, the word Magi is a Babylonian word. And if you look it up in the Old Testament, the word for wise men, even in Daniel, is the word Magi. What were the Magi from Babylon doing, showing up at the birth of Christ, looking for the king of the Jews? Well, I think Daniel tipped them off. 
And they took the tip and showed up. So one man influenced the world greatly for God. You see, one or even a few faithful men and women can influence nations, can influence cities, can influence institutions, can influence a family. Never underestimate the power of a godly life. Someone willing to say no to compromise and to stand up strong for God. All right, we've seen the text. Now let's go back to talking about some application. Everybody ready for some next steps? I want to share five things with you about how to stand strong for God in our culture today. What can we learn from this story? How does God help those who put him first? Here's the first thing. I will establish consistency in my walk with God. Establish consistency in your walk with God. See, if you think that Daniel just sort of rolled out of bed and passed this test, you're dead wrong. The victory that we read about here in public is because Daniel was very successful for a long time in private. So I tell you, friends, you have to establish that pattern of consistently walking with God, or you will never stand strong in the day of crisis. Listen, if you aren't walking faithfully with God today, it is only a matter of time before you fall, before you fail. Just a matter of time. Daniel was a man who walked faithfully with God, and you and I will never stand strong until we walk consistently with God as well. Daniel 11.32 puts it this way. We'll get to this later, but I love this verse. Daniel 11.32, the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. The people who what? Who know their God. The most important thing you can do is to get to know God. You need to have a plan, an appointment with God daily. As long as you and I are are, going to spend time with God when I get around to it or when it's convenient, we're not going to spend much time with God, okay? You won't really get to know God and you won't stand. The truth is you need a plan. Set a regular time that you're going to meet with God each day. Put it on your calendar, put a reminder on your phone, whatever you have to do to establish a consistent walk with God. Establish a pattern of consistency, of Bible reading and prayer. And so I just ask you straight up this morning, how's it going? How is your walk with God these days? Establish that priority. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I will expect opposition. Expect opposition. Daniel had his share of opposition, and he lived a pretty blameless life. So there's this misconception that following Jesus Christ is going to make our lives easier. Really? Have you ever read the New Testament? The early church had it anything but easy. So let's deep six this false notion here that following Christ means less hardships and fewer hassles. Not true. It just means different ones. And it means that you don't go through them alone. And that when they do come, they have an eternal purpose. But let's be clear, there is going to be opposition when you choose to follow Christ. It can come from family, 
from neighbors, from friends, from bosses, from coworkers, classmates, teammates, and worse yet, it will also come sometimes from carnal Christians who are going to be like, oh, oh, look at you. When did you get so serious about following Jesus? Just forget all of that. Dismiss it. Don't worry about them at all. Yes, opposition is inevitable. We are not going to get through this life without some battle scars. There's going to be some wounds because there's going to be some persecution, and here's why. We are part of God's kingdom of light. And out there is a kingdom of darkness, which we used to be part of. And when the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness come in contact, there's a kingdom clash. Sometimes there's fireworks. Paul put it like this. He wrote, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, if you are not ready to face persecution for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God. So expect opposition. Ask God for the courage to face it, and don't be surprised when it comes. Here's the third thing. I will purpose to be faithful to God. Decide today that you are going to live a life of faithfulness to God. That's why Daniel was so blessed. Be faithful to do the right things. Be faithful to speak up for God. The key to living a life that God can bless is Faithfulness And faithfulness means doing what God says, even when it's not easy. Beloved, I'm praying that God will make us a people who are faithful to him. Not necessarily flashy, nothing wrong with flashy if it's genuine, but faithfulness is what God really is looking for. And it just takes plodding, you know, one foot in front of the other, just being faithful, getting up, doing the right thing day after day, or as someone put it, a long obedience in the same direction. Let me tell you a true story about faithfulness. George Bolt is his name, spelled B-O-L-D-T, Bolt. George Bolt managed a small little hotel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It wasn't much, but he was a good manager. And one evening, a couple came through the lobby and up to the desk and asked for a room. And George said to them, I'm so sorry, but our rooms are all filled. We don't have any vacancy. Well, they were about to leave, but George also knew that the rooms throughout the city of Philadelphia would be full because travel was up and visitors were thick and there wasn't likely another vacancy in the city. And George knew if they turned around and walked out of his hotel, they weren't going to find a room. And so he said... Listen, you can have my room tonight. I'll get it cleaned. I'll sleep here on the couch. Just take my room tonight. And they said, oh, no, we can't take your room. He said, no, I insist. Take my room. If you don't take my room, you won't find a room at all. And so they did. They took his room, spent the night, and got up the next day. And as they were checking out of the hotel in the morning, the elderly gentleman said to Mr. Bolt, you know, you are a very good manager. You ought to manage the biggest, finest hotel in the world. And maybe someday I'll build it for you. Well, they had a good laugh together, and uh, they walked out. 
But a few years later, George received a letter in the mail from a man in New York City. And it was the same man. He reminded him of that night and asked George to come up to New York City and visit him for a few days. And inside of the envelope, he found a ticket to get there. So George did. And when he arrived in New York, he looked at the address and found the address on a corner in downtown Manhattan, downtown New York City, and he looked up at the address, and it was this big, new, beautiful hotel. And the elderly gentleman actually met him there and said, George, I'd like you to manage this hotel for me. The elderly gentleman's name? William Waldorf Astoria. Astor, excuse me. William Waldorf Astor, one of the wealthiest men in all of America in his day. And he had just finished building the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, one of the finest ever. You see, the elderly gentleman knew that if George was so faithfully managing that smaller hotel in Philadelphia, was so caring to his patrons, that he would do a great job managing the Waldorf Astoria. So he was given the job, and he took that job, and he became the manager of the Waldorf Astoria. But I also like that story because it reminds me of something Jesus said. Jesus said, if you are faithful in a little thing, you will be faithful in much. And I will reward you. I will put you as a ruler over ten cities or five cities. Remember that one? Beloved, how are you managing your life today? Because how you are managing your life today will largely determine your rewards when you get to heaven someday. The Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace, by grace alone. But we will be rewarded according to our faithfulness. Be a faithful woman. Be a faithful man. Work hard and have an excellent spirit. Only God can work that kind of character into us, that faithfulness. But the way I see it, the closer we get to him, the more of it will rub off on us. Next step number four is I will maintain consistency in my walk with God. Maintain consistency. Getting started with a consistent walk is great, but maintaining it is really the hardest part, especially in the face of opposition, maintaining our walk with God, speaking up faithfully for him. You see, sometimes the crisis comes and we abandon our disciplines. Bad decision. Maintain your consistency. Keep on walking with the Lord. Notice verse 10 again, one of my favorites in this chapter. Daniel went up into his house, got down on his knees before the open window, and prayed three times a day just as he had always done. Beloved, keep on praying. In fact, someone put it like this. Kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. Kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. Beloved, Daniel's life certainly says something to us about the priority of prayer. And I want to challenge you today 
to commit yourself to extra prayer in the 35 days between now and Easter Sunday. Just five weeks from today is Easter. Commit yourselves to being a person of prayer. You know, some people give up something for Lent, that's fine. But only, I believe, if you replace it with something better. So why not do what Daniel did and commit yourself to praying three times a day? So I invite you to pray three times a day, maybe just five minutes each time, but pray three times a day between now and Easter. Purpose in your heart to pray for your family, to pray for your friends, to pray for any people in your life that don't know Christ yet. That would be a great way right there to fill up the next 35 days in prayer. And then finally, number five, I will do what's right and trust God with the results. I will do what's right and trust God with the results. I wish I could tell you, friends, that it's always going to work out good for you, just like it did for Daniel here. But I can't tell you that at all. I can't make that promise. In fact, Daniel might have asked, you know, what if the lions eat me? What if God doesn't rescue me and, and the, the lions eat me when I go into the lion's den? And that would have been a fair question because there were plenty of other people in the Bible that had as much faith as Daniel did and for whatever reason, God chose not to rescue them. You see, we're not talking about a Disney movie here. This is real life with a sovereign God whose ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is higher than our understanding. And he will often do things that don't make sense to us. And so I can't promise you today that if you take a stand for him, that you're never going to be disappointed with how it works out. You might be. But I can promise you this. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. Because he loves you and he is sovereignly in control of things. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. See, here's the part that's difficult for us to understand. Daniel didn't know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. He didn't know that he would become a Sunday school lesson for centuries to come, in other words. He had no idea, none whatsoever, that it would end like it ended. All he knew was that for the 80-plus years of his life, God had been faithful to him. And beloved, if God can deliver Daniel from the lion's den, he can surely deliver you. If God can deliver Daniel from the lion's den, and he did, he can surely deliver you. And generations of Christians have taken strength from this story because in the end, the hero really isn't Daniel, it's Daniel's God. It's Daniel's God. That same God is sovereign over those who plot against us. He's sovereign over the lions that surround us. So take heart and trust God. He can deliver you from whatever is troubling your heart today. And finally, the same God who rescued Daniel wants to rescue you from your sin if you will just trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Christ are counted as righteous and forgiven in God's eyes. That's the promise of God to those who trust Jesus as their Savior. And friend, if that's what you need today, if that's what you want, then run to the cross. 
Run to the cross right now. Don't delay. Come to Jesus and lay your sins on him. I'm going to give you a chance to do that as we bow in prayer now. Would you, would you pray with me, please? And I begin with this invitation. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not right now in the silence of this holy moment, pray, just pray silently in your heart and ask God to forgive you. Say, Father, I need your forgiveness. I've sinned against you. And today I put my faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for me. I receive the gift of forgiveness that you offer me through him. Thank you for that gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And our Father, I pray that your word and your spirit would give strength to us, your people. That we would be encouraged to obey you and to follow you faithfully, even when it doesn't completely make sense. Help us to stand strong in the face of opposition. Lord, we don't want to be opposed because we're obnoxious. We want to stand strong for you and be winsome for you. But even if it doesn't go the way we want, help us to be strong and to be faithful. When we kneel before you, give us the strength to stand up in spite of the trials here in this life. We will give you the praise and the thanks. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you.